0: Blood Talk Radio Welcome to the Sunbury Press Book Show sponsored by Sunbury Press, publisher of books under nine different imprints in a variety of categories, available worldwide wherever books are sold. I'm your host, Lawrence Knorr, and I'm the founder of Sunbury Press, and today we're very fortunate to have with us Miles Richards, who is the author of Wrestling with George. I'll tell you a little bit about the book. The book's title is derived from an episode that occurred during George Washington's visit to the region. In in 17, God, 1970, forgive me, 1770. We all know George is back in that time. And uh, I guess the region is the Pittsburgh region. While attending a frontier social event at a locale in the upper Yugo and forgive me if I'm not saying that right, he was challenged by a local rowdy to a wrestling match. Upon Upon enduring this verbal abuse for over an hour, Washington finally obliged him with devastating results. The story is among Washington's various adventures around the Monongahela and Yugahane rivers that are recounted in this book. These two rivers are among the few natural waterways in the world which flow northward. Washington, though, was not the only notable figure to visit the area during the period between 1700 and 1900. For instance, Nicholas Roosevelt was the first scion of that notable family, who became well-known in western Pennsylvania when steering one of the earliest steamboats upon the Monongahela. Moreover, the first British settlements West of the Allegheny Mountains were located along these rivers. Various of the essays within the work trace the evolution of the economy of these valleys, from being an agricultural breadbasket to a heavy industrial powerhouse specializing in basic steel production. list of notable local personages appearing in these pages range from the legendary Queen Aliquippa of the Seneca to Philander Knox, a Brownsville native who had become a prominent corporate attorney as well as a prominent national Republican politician by 1900. The author of all this wonderful history is Miles S. Richards, who is a retired history educator currently residing in McKinney, Pennsylvania. Miles, welcome to the Sunbury Press Book Show.
1: Thank you, Larry. Uh, I'd have to give you two corrections. Yawky Guinea is how you pronounce it.
0: (laughs) Or as we just say around here,
1: the yawk. okay. The Yakagani, but you know what? And this, I'm cause, Oh God, What's the other I'm one? in the town of. I'm in the town of McKeesport. Yes. What did I say? I don't know, but it's the only town in the world with that name. <laughs> McKeesport. <laughs> I hope I said McKeesport. Well, I'll have to play it back
0: after we're done and see see what I yeah. said. But hopefully, I said McKeesport, Pennsylvania. But Yakagani. But which reminds me the of.
1: Yakagani. Yakagani.
0: So mm-hmm. up. Upstate, upriver, up the Susquehanna from me is a valley called the Makatongo Valley. Mm-hmm. And my ancestors are from there, and I often write about that area. And I just spoke up there not too long ago. The uh, Topahawken Path goes through there. The the Shimokan Indian Village is not far in Sunbury. Mm-hmm. And so I gave a talk about Conrad Weiser and the Topahawken Path and and uh, Chief Shikalimi. And so. Yep.
1: I was
0: the I've actually by written, my, I've by actually written about
1: those guys in yeah. newspapers, were Weiser yeah. and Chicklemini, and because they were uh their they they figure in the story out here some. Sure. I wrote for I write for a couple of local newspapers down around Connellsville, so
0: Well I've always been proud yep. of Wiser because the Pennsylvania Dutch culture and you know his mm-hmm. connection to Berks County, where I grew up. But I, I was butchering Makatongo and I was saying Mahatongo mm-hmm. like it's spelled, and they yeah. were very clear to uh, to make me uh, say it correctly. So I'm not even going to try to
1: say it again. Cause I don't know, I'll I'll let you say it. <laughs> yawk. We take the easy way out and just say the yawk and the mon. The yawk. <laughs> okay. You're right, the the yawk around the locals around here. Yep. Well. Those
0: of you who are listening and can't see these the names of these two rivers as they're spelled it looks like ten to fifteen letters of uh, lots of O's and U's and G's and H's and Y's so um, yes
1: <laughs> pretty long names so uh, they meet right at book. McKeesport so
0: yes and and where you live and thus your your
1: mm-hmm. interest I guess in the area so how far mm-hmm. is McKeesport from Pittsburgh about seventeen miles south. Okay, so you're north north of Pittsburgh a bit. We're south of it. Oh, ah,
0: okay. We're south. And the um of course the book the title Wrestling with George, I know we, we discussed that way back when and mm-hmm. you know George Washington is always a very interesting figure and we tease with George Washington we know the book is about a lot more than George but let's talk about mm-hmm. George and uh in that area of Pennsylvania and I'll, I'll just give you a few seconds on what I think I know and then you can fill us in so I I'm, I'm, what I recall is the western Pennsylvania before the lands had been uh officially purchased from the Indians before a lot of that was all decided uh several states were we're claiming that area potentially. Virginia, of course, one of them. And thus, mm-hmm. uh, you know, West Virginia goes north around, wraps around Western Pennsylvania today, and West Virginia used to be part of Virginia. So, I yeah. think there was some overlapping um, concerns there between Virginia and Pennsylvania, for sure. And we all know about Braddock's defeat and uh, and the French and Indian War and then subsequent revolution and some of the things out that way. But um, it sounds to me like George had a little more interest out that way Than just having been a soldier So why don't you tell us a little bit about George In your neighborhood Well,
1: George, Washi- George Washington Had made some survey trips And he had been In both the uh, Forbes campaign Besides The earlier Braddock campaign But while he was up here He started to look for a lot of lands uh good land parcels, and he had great ambitions to have a fairly big land holding up here and be a fairly big proprietor, and he had a land agent after 1767, William Crawford, who figures in the book quite a bit down, he lived down near what's now today Connellsville. And in 1770 and 1784, Washington made two business trips up here to look over his lands and make sure people weren't squatting on his lands and that his renters were paying on time. And I mean, he was a hard-headed businessman and he of course was interested in, you know, a few investments and down near the modern town of Periopolis, which was called Washington's bottom in those days, he built this grist mill, which a, a model of it still stands down there. And, so he came up in 1770 to check over all the lands that he'd gotten through Crawford. Many of these lands had been granted to him by the Native Americans, but he also was promised for his for his militia service in the war, these lands. And he also had a considerable amount of land down the Ohio River. And one of his big goals, he he wanted to connect the Potomac to the ohio and thereby have the chesapeake connected to the western territories and he he had ideas similar to what the later builders of the erie canal had further north yeah and and uh he was making money out of mount mount vernon but he always was worried about being in debt you know to Debtors. I mean, and uh, so he he was never really secure in his finances, although they were pretty good. But he never he always wanted to make sure that they'd, nothing happened, and his, his fortune would tank, and then he would be broke. So he spent a lot of time up here, but unfortunately, a lot of the lands that he claimed were uh, there was no paperwork for it, particularly after 1782. When his land, his land agent William Crawford was captured out in Ohio, at and was basically burned at the stake by the uh, Delaware and the uh, Wyandots and whoever else was out there. That he he got so literally a lot of his land claims went up in smoke, and that's why he came up in 1784. And other land speculators had grabbed his land, for them claimed their land for themselves, and then they had sold them to, uh-huh. you know, would be, uh, speculate settlers. So, he came up, and they were not pleasant trips because generally, particularly the second one, he he was he found that the people west of the Alleghenies didn't have the great. Eminent, you know, respect for him that uh, they did for East of the Mountains. So he was that's a, the Whiskey Rebellion later. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of well, a lot of those land, a lot of those squatters, as he would have called them, that were settling on his lands, were many of them were Whiskey Rebels. Mm-hmm. So I think he took, a, you know, the Whiskey Rebellion personally, not only against the the flooding of, of the in a defying of the federal government, national government, but also the fact when he would see the list of the na- names on those petitions, they would become, fam- they were familiar names to him, and he didn't record- like those people particularly <laughs> to start with. <laughs> well, yeah, he probably saw them as rabble.
0: Uh, yeah. You know, Washington Lush- was uh, was an aristocrat in American terms, you could say, he certainly was our the lead general of the revolution, our first president. And I don't, you know, without Washington, we probably don't have a country, at least not the way we do today. We hadn't held it together as more of a
1: mm.
0: non nonpartisan actor at that time. So let,
1: let with me these uh, people, we're Go ahead. But these people he would have not liked personally because he had already argued with them a couple of years, you know, a few years earlier. When he came up, his I would say that his second trip was one, after a point, it was one big argument with groups, one group after another. <laughs> you know, people that he claimed were on his lands, and they said, no, you, that's our lands, and, you know, went back and forth.
0: Well,
1: it's,
0: it's really fascinating, the
1: story of the wrestling match. So which trip was that?
0: Is that that was the, the first
1: trip. That was the first trip. Washington was a good wrestler and boxer. A lot of people in his youth. A lot of people forget that. And uh, it's like, a- after trying it's to avoid my- the match, he just decided to give the guy a wrestling match and and lesson. And he did, particularly a hip roll that finished the guy off. <laughs>
0: That's he funny. I have to wonder though: is this an apocryphal tale, or is there actual documentation that this happened? Uh- you
1: know, is it a well, legend I, out that way, or is
0: it? Do you think it's real? Yeah, do you well,
1: think it really I read it in the book. You know, Crawford's daughter remembered it many years later when she was an older woman, Catherine Stryer, and uh, that's that's my source for it. She remembered the t- she remembered Washington's visit and described that whole business. <laughs> that's really cool.
0: That's really cool. Well, of course, we're dwelling a lot on George, and we're almost halfway through already. So um, I know there's a lot of other figures in the book, and one that stood out for me was, you know, you mentioned the legendary Queen Aliquippa. Tell me a little bit about her. Where was she situated, and and why does she come into your your narrative
1: here? Well, she's a name that's legendary out here. I heard about her as a small child, and uh... Actually, I had a woman faculty friend who was uh, down in South Carolina who taught women's history, and she knew about Queen Aliquippa, which stunned me. But anyway, Queen Aliquippa was probably, uh, she came down out of New York State when the Seneca moved down into the into this region because there had been a sort of a gap where a lot of tribes had died off because, because of uh, smallpox and other contagions. So it was kind of almost open territory for everybody. And so she came down, and she was a person your friend Conrad Weiser ran into, and George Crogan, the king of the yeah. Indian, Indian traders, and French uh, explorers, and English you know folk, you know, that came up through here, Christopher Gist, they all knew her, but she seemed to move around from different camps, she was down on the Ohio River for a while, in fact, Bruno's Island in Pittsburgh was named Aliquippa's Island back in the day, but her corn supply seemed to be up here in what we would today call North Huntington Township up off the York. And right across is my native Elizabeth Township, but these this it was called Queen Aliquippa's cornfields at one point. It's known as oh, okay. Robin Station today. And she just she was down at the at the point in McKeesport and uh she hung around there and uh that's where he met her. Although she she was pro British so she later fled down to Great Meadows where Washington was. And she died apparently around seventeen fifty four out in Shirley'sburg, Pennsylvania, on property that the George Krogan owned. So she died fairly early in the story. Yeah. In
0: 1754.
1: What made her a queen? What made her a queen? I know a little bit about the retirement. Seneca in upstate New York.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: Well that was women had a high uh Status among the Seneca more than they did the other Iroquois nations. In fact, it's the the lines of succession went through the female line. But she was the name queen was given her by a sundry European travelers. She was she was a very eminent woman within her tribe, and the Seneca had been establishing. In fact, down here they. The Seneca had been here long enough that they were becoming their own tribe, more or less, new grouping, and they were calling them the Mingos. So whenever you see the title Mingo, that's really transplanted Seneca. And they were ex, had been extending influence over the local Indian nations that were here already. Like the Shawnee and the and the the Di- Delaware, who had been driven out from eastern Pennsylvania, the Lenape, as they were called, and the Wyandots—they were all in this area. Well, I know that Shikalimi was um,
0: from upstate New York, and some say he may have been Seneca, or at least his um, his spouse mm-hmm. was a Seneca squaw, and they were yes. questioning whether he was mixed blood or not. Uh, Shikalimi could have been. Part French, or maybe was not. But even mm-hmm. you know, when you say Mingo or Minko, I remember running into that when when researching Shikalimi And at that mm-hmm. time, that was uh, that was seen as a derogatory term among a lot of the natives because it was uh, yep. implied they were mi- they were mixed from mixed tribes. And well, they I can hear you coming mixed I, tribes I, here. Yeah, I guess with uh, the decline in their population for whatever reason,
1: uh, they were they had the to Shikolish. do that to survive. Often associated with Catanning, which was the Delaware Lenape town up on uh, the Allegheny, which the modern okay. town of Catanning still stands on. So so tell us, uh,
0: who else is in this book? Who's your favorite character in this book besides George
1: that you talk about? Well, Johnny Appleseed, of course, original uh His original base of operations was in the Pittsburgh area. And he would go out to Westmoreland County and pick up all these rotten apples and rinds and everything, and then they would transport them down in the river down the Ohio, from the Monongahela to the Ohio River and then onward. Uh, Nick Rose, Nicholas Roosevelt, the uh, creator of the, you know, who built the first, steamboat, and, and in the amazing time of six weeks, quote-unquote, he went down and took it to New Orleans. But there uh-huh. are so many people in it. Uh, I try to connect everything from the early days when this was the grain-producing bread basket through the coal mining days and into when it becomes basic steel— you know, once the iron industry, Isaac Meeson's a favorite character of mine, Mason or Meeson, depends on how you pronounce it. I've heard it, pronounce it both ways. He's the one that built on Christopher Gist's land. And Christopher Gist, of course, early is mentioned, but he, as I say in my essay, he sort of, we don't really know what happened to him. Did he die in, of smallpox in South Carolina in 1759, or did he live in the Adkin River? valley down in North Carolina till fairly late on uh, I like of course George Crogan is a or some pronounce it Crone but he he was a Scots Irish he was an Irishman who came out and was the king of the Indian traders and had great ambitions for being a great you know big land proprietor yeah. out here I know Asian he and urban. he and Wiser didn't
0: always see eye to eye and he kind of came a little later than Wiser, but there's a George Crowan yeah. trading post and home not too far from me, just north of Mechanicsburg along yeah. the uh along the creek and uh it still stands. And he and owned,
1: there's, a, there's a marker there. And
0: I know he went west. He owned a lot here, of land
1: around Big Swickley Creek, which is one of the big tributaries near modern day West Newton. He uh owned all the land on each side of it for five miles. He owned hundreds of thousands of acres. And he danced every dance, though. He was involved in every Indian council and everything up until the end of this, you know, just before this, the revolution.
0: I seem to and recall the, uh, some conflict about Crowin and I think it was Crowen and Wiser concerning alcohol or liquor to the, to the natives. And Wiser was never for that. He didn't, didn't want to see that happen. And I think Crowen was not, was a little, uh,
1: was a little freer with that. If the natives wanted that, he was willing to provide it. Krogan liked to drink that. And I didn't go into these stories, but there are a couple accounts of him getting into a fist fight with a teamster over, a. Hauling Bill, and then later one time he got mad. He was at around Fort Pitt, and there's a description of him getting mad and tossing a grenade at, at this group that he had been quarreling with. And he missed, <laughs> but uh, he he was a, a pretty turbulent character. The revolution yeah. caught him unprepared, and uh, he died, you know, broke in Philadelphia. I
0: think he's buried.
1: Yeah, he's buried in Philadelphia.
0: I think that's somebody we should probably include in. Uh, we do books yeah. on Keystone Tombstones, and he's
1: probably yeah. a good. He hasn't had a. He hasn't had a biography that. written on him for two for many decades. A fellow named Nick Nicholas wrote, Wainwright wrote one on him in I think the 60s, and then there was a book by a guy named Albert Volweiler who wrote one real early, so I think like 1961 or so. So he had a couple mm-hmm. books written, but but generally until I started writing about him, he hadn't been read about, written about too much out here. Well, he's a fascinating
0: character because he he was yeah. very prominent and you know he connected all the different people together for for one reason or another. So anyway, we have a few minutes That's to it. go here, five or six minutes. I know we don't have time to go into too much detail on any more of these people, but. Let me ask you this. Uh, I know the the book's come out just a few months now. Uh, what are you What are you doing? Are you appearing anywhere? Going to do any book signings or events? Well, I'm going to be
1: doing a book some book signings down at uh, Barnes and Noble at what we call the waterfront, and next Saturday from one to three. So that's I'm going February. To be talking, 8th. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to be talking at the Homestead Public Library. A week or so later than that, on the fifth, on March, uh, I think it's uh, February fifteenth. Wait a minute, no, it's February twelfth. It's Lincoln's birthday. Okay. And then I'm going to be doing one on. Um, I know I'm going to be doing one down at uh, Periopolis at the end of March. And then I've got a couple others that are in the works uh, that I'll I'll be speaking to my own local historical society, the Elizabeth Township Historical Society, about it, and so on and so forth. So I'm starting to, you know, I'm getting it, getting it, you know, back out. I, of course, was, you know, was hobbled for a while with that broken arm. So then, yeah. but uh, I'm very glad that this book's starting to get some interest
0: well it's an interesting book and especially mm -hmm. that you know some of the stories you tell in it that are not Mm -hmm. widely known they might be buried away in some footnote somewhere in a history book and what you've done is taken your region your immediate area and you've brought it to Mm -hmm. life through the ages so my last
1: question for you well, I'll make one minutes. comment.
0: What? Go
1: ahead. Down at the Rivers of Steel, which is a museum for the for the steel industry of Pennsylvania, it's in Homestead. They were fascinated that the old Jones and Laughlin steel plant was the site of where Johnny Appleseed had his uh, cabin, <laughs> where he would launch his uh, b- boat. So, what I kind of where there's where there's a steel it, plant. Wow. Okay. What I'm telling what I'm telling the what I get into the end of the story into the with the railroads and the coal mines and the you know the development of the, of the industry but I try to uh, do you know stuff tell what was here before it right. These broad fields were wheat fields and there was a grain grain and flour were sent down to New Orleans and down through the Ohio Valley and Mississippi, and then it became a coal mining area and with with coke and you know being developed, which means cake and coal put together. That's what coke comes from. And, coke is uh, in I, the, I, uh, yeah, not not the drink, right? No. <laughs> okay. okay. What story? Hey, what questions do you have? We're just
0: about out of time. I just wanted to to uh, let our listeners know about your book and that I wanted to see if you were writing anything new uh, after this, anything
1: coming along that I might see a manuscript before too long. Well, I'm doing a thing on, I'm studying the uh, a glass company, the United States Glass Company, which was down in the town of Glassport, which was a industry, I've, I found the minute books you know, in the McKeesport History and Heritage Center, and I've been going through those. And I did work in civil rights history down in South Carolina, but I that's in the past. Yeah. And I'm looking for new, I'm still writing my columns for the Connellsville newspaper and for, for the Scottdale paper and a couple others. And I'm not, you know, I've always got out the possibilities of something new. Well, I can tell you that uh,
0: another book like Wrestling with George, more stories from the area or expand your area or pick an area, you know, a little north, a little south, something a little different, could uh, could do well. And, Miles, I have to tell you, we're out of time. Uh, we could probably mm-hmm. talk all day. This a love history. Yes, myself. we could. So thank you for joining me. I promise to have you back yeah. a- another time.
1: Okay, thank you. I certainly right. enjoyed this. All right, take care Miles. Have a great day. Okay, thanks. Thanks, Larry.
0: Thank thank you everybody. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Sunbury Press book show. We were talking to Miles Richards, the author of Wrestling with George. Mm-hmm.